0: Now, without further ado, this episode of the Daily Reprieve.
1: Howdy! Welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. My name is Dave. I'm from Franklin, Tennessee, and I will be a facilitator for this session. Um, Our speaker for this session is Harvey A. from Nashville. And the name of this meeting is, What is Sex with Self? Please take a moment to silence all electronic devices. If you need to use yours during the meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recording of this or any meeting. Uh, Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. Prayer. God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being recorded. If you are not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share... Please speak directly into the microphone so the listeners can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. Um, Not red. Okay, so with that, this meeting is scheduled to go to to 6 p.m. And so, uh, our speaker is going to, uh, share his experience, strength, and hope. And if there's time at the end, he may allow some time for questions and comments and for other shares. So, um, I don't often get to do this, but, uh, I first met our speaker at my first essay conference in St. Louis in 1986. And, uh, the thing that has always amazed me is he, he didn't know me from Adam. Um, I knew that I was living in Detroit at the time, I knew I was being moved, uh, I was going to be transferred to Nashville, and he was excited that I was coming, and uh, um, what a gift. Um, three years later he became my sponsor, and has been my sponsor since uh, September, October 1989. Um uh he's been there he was there uh through my dating um, he uh read the old testament um, scripture reading at my wedding my christian wedding uh he was outside the delivery room when my first child was delivered um i owe him a lot and i love him dearly harvey a from nashville thanks Thank you,
2: He forgot to tell you that we co-sponsor each other now. And don't ask how that works, but it works. I'll call him and say, I need you as my sponsor now. And he'll call me, and we do it. Uh, over the years, a lot happens because we become spiritual friends, and no matter who your sponsor is, you end up getting a spiritual friendship if it's a especially a long term relationship. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic. I have been sexually sober thirty three years and ten months, uh one day at a time. Um I was a relatively young guy when I came in <laughs> forty four, I'm now seventy eight. Um <clears throat> And this topic is something special uh, to me because I'm dyslexic. And I was an adult before I found out I was dyslexic. I just thought I was a poor speller. So I married a gal who was a great speller. And then she would spell all my words for me. And I had tremendous difficulty writing. But in 202, I was seeing a problem in our fellowship that was driving me up a wall. I was really concerned. It was the word that was starting to be used, which was technical sobriety people would give two sobriety dates, their technical sobriety, and their sobriety when they watch pornography last, or when they touch themselves but not to orgasm. And they would have these double type of sobriety dates. And I really was getting concerned And I said, I need to write an article for the essay. But I couldn't write well. So that first article that I wrote, one of my sponsees is a, and he's speaking this here this weekend too, I've sponsored him for about 30 years, David and he have the same sobriety date actually, and um, same amount of years. And And I said, "Would if I write this, would you edit it? Yes, I'm so poor at writing. And he said, okay. And I wrote this article, not thinking the essay would ever publish it. Turned out I hardly needed any editing. I just wrote on top of the paper, God write this for me. And I wrote this article. And it went into the essay. And it went like fire. And they put it in another book called The Best of Essay. And that's when I really started being asked to speak. And people from all over the world would ask, Would you come here to talk on sex with self? No one had really ever brought this up. What is sex with self? It's about two, three years before Roy died, our founder. We were at a conference, it might have been in Newark many years ago, and I walked up to him, I said, Roy, there's so much talk, so much talk, about the definition of marriage, so much concern in the fellowship, but no one talks about what is sex with self, what does it mean? Does it mean masturbation to orgasm because many people think that's the only definition that if you don't have an orgasm, that's not sex with self you could be playing around for an hour but if you didn't have an orgasm that's not sex with self and he shocked me with his answer I said, why did you keep it so vague? And he said, because this is not a religion, and we cannot dot every I. Wow. So here is a discussion to start saying, what is it? What is sex with self? Now, I wrote this article in 202, Uh, 15 years later, I've gone way beyond this article. And hopefully it will come out in this talk. Now, sex with self, to me, this is only my opinion, is purposeful sexual stimulation. When you're alone... It's real clear to me. Now, how can it be so clear to me? Because I'm a compulsive masturbator. I was doing it every couple hours by the time I came into the program. I was using it as a stimulant in the morning to get going. I was using it at night as a sleeping pill. I was using it throughout the day as a tranquilizer. So I had to really be clear with myself what is sex with self. So I came up with a definition for me that it is any purposeful self-stimulation. So if you wake up in the middle of the night with an arousal, or you realize innocently all of a sudden getting an arousal out of nowhere. That's not a purposeful sex itself. But if you decide you're going to watch pornography or purposely open up a lingerie catalog and purposely let yourself get stimulated even if you haven't touched yourself. To me, that's sex with self. It's about stimulation. It's about Oh, by the way, I once said, if it's not sex with self, why do you call it? And someone yelled out fun. Oh. <laughs> Only in that's an SA meeting
3: someone said that. <laughs>
2: It's that self-stimulation purposeful that I'm allergic to. We know arousal isn't our problem. As many of us are married and we have arousal and we have intercourse and we don't lose our sobriety for the most part. Most people don't. So it's not the arousal. It's so much of the motive behind the arousal. Now, don't forget, we're talking mostly about male physiology because that's my department. I can't, can't talk, and perhaps later, uh, if there, fem- there is a female, but if there's some females in the room, they want to talk about it in terms of female um, equations are great. Uh, But I can only talk from my experience, strength, and hope. This program can be very, very dangerous for recovery because of our definition. It says no sex with self or no sex outside my. Your marriage. So that means you could stand in front of a window watching someone go naked, be a voyeur, get stimulated, and not touch yourself, and come to a meeting and say, Yeah, I'm sexually sober. And no one could really tell you you're not. Best, it's rather vague. But I can't tell for you, but I can tell for me, that would be a loss of my sobriety. The purposeful content of that. That would be a loss of my sobriety. Now, Roy had this special term that helps since we can't clearly define it. And I'll give you some examples. We get kids here who are 19, 20 years old with people who are 50, 70, 80 years old. Their physiology is not gonna be identical. They could be walking down a hall and all of it gets stimulated over nothing at 19. So we just can't give these things a stamp. This, horm- hormones play a role too. But we can give a stamp to motivation, to purpose. So it's progressive victory over lust, is what like Roy said true sobriety. What does that mean in practical terms? It means once I see it and I keep doing it purposefully, that's not progressive victory over loss. We can't stop what we don't know. But once we know it, now, by the way, these are topics that usually don't get talked about because this could happen in marriage. There are many men, and in our, you could get by with this and call yourself legal, whose behavior with their wives is they masturbate in front of their wives as part of their their sexual play with their wives. How do you define that? It's not something I can do successfully. It's something I don't want to do. I'm allergic to masturbation. Nothing could be more normal than masturbation. I don't care what culture you're from, what religion you're from. People masturbate. They've been doing it for thousands of years. But most people outgrow masturbation. Or they only use it for certain times if they don't have other outlets. But not a sex addict. It doesn't matter how much you'll have intercourse as a sex addict. Statistically, you're still going to compulsively masturbate. Not everyone, but the majority of stories we hear over the years, that's how it goes. God, this is a gloomy lot. My God. (laughs) By the way, I'm just another recovering drunk, so take with a grain of salt what I say. This is what's kept me sober. You know, I'm going to be speaking later this weekend, and I want to talk about that, to be so careful we don't make this a religion where one guy gets up and says... This is how you work your program. This is how you work your steps. Nah, no one could tell you for sure. If they can, you better worry about it. Okay. But there are some basic things. Last night, I did a profession meet, uh, meeting for professionals. And we talked about what really goes on. We're getting endorphins and dopamine and serotonin in our brain from our fantasies and sexually acting out. And we get hooked. Most people don't get hooked. But a certain percent of the population become addicts. Most people could drink alcohol successfully. But about 8 to 10 percent of the population become alcoholics. They're allergic to alcohol. I'm allergic to masturbation. It's that simple. What is the key words? It's what my sponsor would say to me. To thine own self be true. No one could tell you for sure. But you know. You know. You know you're playing the line. And I've never seen anyone play the line, walk the line, who eventually don't go over. I've just not seen it. You know, I once said, once thought about it. uh, They don't talk much about waterboarding now. But I said... There's only one thing worse than waterboarding getting yourself worked up and not getting an orgasm. My God, that's an uncomfortable situation. And so many of you will do that. It's about as close to self-torture. Do you know what the old medical books used to call masturbation? Self-abuse. W like, what could be worse than not being able to finalize it? And yet that's a self torture many people do, especially hiding behind pornography. It so many people in our fellowship feel they can watch pornography and call themselves sober. Now why can't we say absolutely you've lost your sobriety? Because what's the definition of pornography? To some people it's looking at an underwear tackle. It's all they need. Others mad do they need some high level stuff low level stuff, however you want to talk about. It. So who can tell you that? Oh that getting yourself aroused watching those porno movies is real loss of sobriety but spending an hour looking at lingerie ads and getting aroused, that's okay. That's where Roy had his point. You you can't define that for someone else v- as easily as we think. You know, it's interesting. Uh, there are some things I've learned over the years about. Okay, about um. Uh, women sex addicts, because many are just, have the same stories as men, but many of the women addicts will get so part of their significant acting out is the romanticizing. So you'll watch after certain meetings in our community in the parking lot People were staying drunk by talking. the guys and gals talking to each other in the parking lot. Finally, in Nashville, what happened was the women realized they needed to have some women meetings. And after a few years, there was enough recovery where there was no problem at all with them being for them in a mixed meeting. But this is so difficult to define for someone else. To thine own self be true. What's changed since that time, since 202 for me, concerning the fellowship? It's the fact that people have totally ignored what the first step says. The first step has nothing, it says, about masturbation or pornography or prostitution. Nothing! It's about lust. And recently there was some pet scams done where they found Fantasy lights up the same areas of the brain, sexual fantasy, as actual sexual action. I cannot have sexual fantasies successfully. They are a no-no in my life. I cannot successfully replay what I did with my wife the night before. That is a sexual fantasy for me. this it's not happening. It's not real. So for me, that's a form of sex with self. I used to live in these fantasies of not only my wife, of everybody sexual. And I'd stay around driving a car for a whole trip. By the way, about two, three years ago, I found if you put my name in or something, YouTube talks come off of mine from S.A. (laughs) <laughs> I said to my wife, can you imagine our grandkids one day googling Harvey <laughs> Well, they got a good one here, let me tell you. We're living through a very significant transition period in society. We have, because we're living in it, we have no way of really seeing it. It's like when you get older and you really don't remember the person, how they looked 10 years ago as much as you remember them from yesterday or today. We're having a period where we won't even be able to know for sure gender, genders being wiped away. This is going to get more and more confusing for sex acts. And we're living through a period where anyone could accuse anybody. And there's nothing you could do about it. And we're... We're living through a period where everything's being listened to and watched. So I give this story all the time. We were asked to come to talk in Israel. And we had this little apartment across the street from the president of Israel's home. And so the soldiers would have to pass you through the street so we could get up to the apartment. And every evening almost, I was talking to people from Iran in the program. The SA guys from Iran were calling me. They didn't know where I was. They were calling me on Skype. And I would say to Nancy, here I am in Israel across from the president's house, it couldn't have been, his house couldn't have been where that wall was. That's how close from our third floor window. And I said, honey, one day, we're going to have the soldiers knock on the door. They're going to say, why are you talking to Iran? And I'll say, Nancy, either way, I get locked up. If I tell them that I'm helping them to stop masturbating and watching pornography. They're going to say, this guy needs to be locked up in a mental hospital. Or they're going to say, man, we've never heard that story before. You're a spy. All kidding aside, my entire family knows all my sons, my daughter-in-laws, my wife, if I disappear one day, the CIA got me.
3: <laughs>
2: I'm talking about Iran. I'm talking about two weeks ago. It was this big Skype meeting in Russia. <laughs> Iran. <laughs> what can I tell you? All I know is that when they're eavesdropping, I'm helping someone get sober. But as we see from the newspaper, no one's immune to sexual addiction. Nobody. Doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter how many gorgeous women you have in your life. That Tiger Woods, I keep talking about it, said last night. He was married to the most gorgeous woman in the world, probably. That Swedish gal or wherever she was from. And what did he end up with? He got obsessed with one of the porno queens that he was watching on the pornography and he started dating her from what I understand. This, this disease is a disease. It's not because we, we're bad. We have a damage in our limbic system. We're allergic to lust. Most men can lust Successfully, not a sex addict. So you sit around and you fantasize long enough. First of all, you're going to end up getting a spontaneous ejaculation. Then you're going to call your sponsor up, all upset. And then you get into such shame. Not that you did anything bad, but you sure did something purposefully that you know, like a diabetic who purposely takes in too much strawberry shortcake that day and hasn't had his insulin. You're going to end up sick. And our sickness especially shows up through shame, and what does shame do? It only thing to relieve the shame is to do it again. Only thing that takes that away. Until you get into recovery and you find other things. You know, I'd like to share this Saturday night I'm speaking, but. It's a mixed group and um, I'm gonna not share, but who knows? What I do is I pray God talk for me and I'm not sure what comes out, but I'm gonna hopefully he'll say no, don't say that Winhart. What is a better feeling than an orgasm? There is nothing better. Do you think, I said it last night to to professionals, do you think a caveman would have taken his stick and rock and beaten up a lion to bring food to his wife and children in the cave if he wasn't getting some that night? Do you actually think if he wasn't getting sex that night, he'd be coming home every night? This is God's greatest invention. It's the most weird stuff. Something happens to your body, it changes form, it goes into something else, and babies are born. My God, the craziest crap! Who could have thought of that except God? (laughs) But without an orgasm, the world would have ended. Civilization. If you don't have sex, you don't have babies. You don't have babies, you don't have future generations. And the 12 and 12 says it so well. These are natural instincts that have gone haywire. So here we are with a sensation that cannot be found. Maybe enough cocaine, (laughs) maybe a little heroin, maybe. But you got to pay big bucks for that. This you could do anywhere at any time. I know I did. I'm like a dog. I had, I did my boundaries everywhere. I mean, there was no place in Nashville I think I hadn't masturbated in. I couldn't take a dump without masturbating. That's where my disease advanced to. By the way, I don't think, and for those who are hearing this on a CD, I don't think you could hear one bit of shame in my voice. I am just so grateful I discovered that I have an illness, that I'm not a normal man. Normal men don't have that story. Once a cucumber becomes a pickle. It can never go back to being a cucumber again. Once you cross that line, we don't know always where that line is or when it happens. Once you cross it, it can never go back. And if you go to enough AA meetings, you'll hear this much more clearly. See, our problem is we attract such a religious group of people in SA. So everything is so moralistic. Ugh, you shouldn't masturbate. Everyone masturbates. It going going on for thousands of years. Or else there wouldn't be rules against it. How could you have a rule against something that no one was doing? Okay? But we're not those people. The big book says, the AA book says, it has to be smashed. The concept that we're like normal men must be smashed. But in the 12 and 12 it says, but normal, men don't want to hear, and by the way, this means women too, but it was written in the 30s. Men don't rather be bad than sick. We rather think of ourselves as bad people than sick people, Our masculine Concept, or for a woman, her self-worth. I can't be sick. I'm just a bad person. It has to be smashed that we can masturbate or stimulate ourselves like normal people or sit in fantasy. I walk in on TV, I, I scream, a lot of my television. So I walk in, my wife's watching, and there's a sex scene on some, you know, soap opera or something. I'll say to her, Honey, this shows she doesn't even know it's a sex scene. <laughs> I'll be sitting with her, and I'll say, honey, I'm getting up. The sex scene is coming. She said, no way a sex scene is coming. Next scene, they're out there naked. She said, how did you know? Then she'll say, so I leave the room. I, I've learned to put my hand up, leave the room. I, Netflix, now I have where It kind of screens them automatically anyway, but for nudity. But I'll say, honey, is the scene over? She'll say, yeah. I said, it can't be, dear. It can't be over that fast. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's over. Oh, Harvey, no, no, you better stay out
3: there.
2: <laughs> she doesn't compute it. She says, no one ever flirts with me. I've been married to her for 56 years, been together 58. She said, no one flirts with me. You should see the people who flirt with her. She doesn't compute it. She's not computing like I do. You smile at me, and I, th- I get an auditory hallucination. I hear you say, let's go have sex all you're doing is smiling at me. We were walking down the street some years ago, and this guy and gal were holding hands, walking down the street towards us. And I said, honey, isn't that something, how everyone has sex? She said, what are you talking about? They're not having sex. I said, oh, they're going home to have sex. She said, what are you talking about? Is that all you think about? I said, absolutely. (laughs) Everything gets filtered through a sexual filter in my brain. I see an orchid plant, and I see... Female and male parts. Everything gets filtered. But in recovery, I have another filter. So it goes in to the sexual filter, but it immediately goes into the next filter that says, ah, there's that thought again, Harvey. You know you're insane. There's that thought. Keep moving. Oh, Harvey, you're having an auditory hallucination. It's okay. There it is. That audit. Harvey, that woman is really not naked. That guy is not walking with aroused. I see these things. They're not real. I get visual hallucinations from this illness. It's so freeing to know I'm not bad getting good, I'm sick getting well. So I want to kind of cool it down and kind of, uh, and then towards the end, maybe we could, (laughs) I'll share a bit, but I want to have some of you Come up naturally don't give your name and share what are you fooling yourself with? Oh are you are we, I I wasn't quite finished, but what? To share what you're fooling yourself with. What are you still holding on to? This isn't about right or wrong, or you're doing it wrong. Have you ever thought about what recovery really is? It's letting go of control. We use the term, surrender. There, especially a certain group in the fellowship, in certain areas... They use this word, and they just don't get it. They use the word, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. You're not going to make it if you struggle. We don't have that word. I don't think I've seen it in the big book. We don't struggle. Whenever you struggle, you're going to lose. Whenever you're in that fight, you will lose. You surrender. You let go. Oh, there's that thought again. Oh, I guess I'll call my sponsor. I'll let go. Not try to control, oh, I'll make that thought go away. I want you all for a moment. I don't want anyone in here to picture a hippopotamus. Don't picture a hippopotamus. It's impossible. Once I say it, only way not to picture a hippopotamus is to start picturing a giraffe or an elephant. But you cannot control your thought. Your thoughts are electronic impulses that are constantly going through. They never stop, just like when you're sleeping, except you're more aware of it when you're awake, but they're just constantly going through. And yet, you try to push it away, the more you try to push it away, the more it comes in instead of saying, oh, there's that thought again. Naturally, we're talking about the 11th step. But most of the fellowship never gets to the 11th step. They either relapse before then, many, many people, or the fellowship itself. <clears throat> there are so many new people. They come in, they go out, people. People use the meetings mostly for the first three steps. It's hard to get an essay beyond the first three steps. It's hard to get meetings beyond the problem. But the solution is the 11th step, especially meditation. Oh, there's that thought again. There's that insane thought again. Or there's that obsession again. Okay. So um, why don't we have people come up and share what they're still holding on to when it comes to luster, uh, fooling themselves about masturbation.
4: Hi, my name is Louise. I'm a sexaholic. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for addressing that issue. Um, And it was very, very helpful listening to you. I wanted to, um, first of all, share about myself, leave with my weakness. Um, I have had several dreams where I did have an orgasm in my sleep. And I did wake up the next day and I felt really guilty uh, about it. Um, So I did ask people in my life you know people in my life should I reset my sobriety date over this and it's just very and the other thing um I struggle with still is euphoric recall and I would like when I think about it yeah it is sex itself you know it is because you're especially you can be purposeful about it without necessarily doing anything physical and I would really love your opinion on um euphoric recall um I also, uh, my last sobriety date is December 10th, 2016. And the reason why I reset that date was um, because I I hadn't masturbated as I usually do. For me, masturbation is just there's just one way of masturbating. And I, I I started to experience bodily arousal in a way that I had never experienced it before. And I didn't know what it was. And it was part of me that was curious, like, is there such a thing as healthy self-touch? And I know it's something I can laugh at now, but at the time, it felt really innocent. And now, obviously, I've spoken to people about it, and... um, they said, well, you know, you're a sexaholic, so you're not qualified <laughs> to, for self touch, you know. <laughs> so um I stopped going for massages, that's one thing, and I do not touch myself anymore anywhere unless I'm washing myself. Um, so I have increased the boundaries. But at the time when I was engaged in that, um I didn't do it purposefully. You know, you're saying it has to be purposeful. I felt I did it with quite a curious, childlike kind of innocent spirit. And so I was—I really have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about the fact that I had to reset my date. But the truth is that, you know, the reason I reset my date was because, A, I was using it as a way to deal with stress. And for me, um, I have to turn to my high power as a way to deal with stress and to program tools and not to myself. And I think that's why I, I decided to reset my den, also because I felt guilt afterwards, and I felt like that was a sign that something had gone wrong. So that's where I'm at. Okay. Gee,
2: thank you so much.
4: Uh, let's talk about wet dreams.
2: <laughs> I came in the program before we had a essay book. It hadn't been written yet. And then Roy wrote the book. At that time, I was in like 11 months of total abstinence. And I was getting wet dreams all the time. I mean, I'm a guy who was having orgasms three to five times a day. I was having sex with my wife a couple of times a day, masturbating throughout the day, and picking up men off the street and having sex with them almost every day. By the way, I'm an equal opportunity sex addict. (laughs) I draw no distinctions. So he writes a book and he says, it's a loss of your sobriety. I said, A loss of my sobriety. My God, this guy doesn't know me. I'm a guy who hasn't had a purposeful orgasm. (coughs) He wasn't much from five or six a day. And I knew something was wrong. And I'd call him and I'd try everything, but I knew I was sober. Oh, I knew I was sober. And then I met Jess, became my sponsor for 12 years. And Jess, <laughs> he, he was a year before me. He came in in 82, I think. And Jess says, oh, wet dreams are a sign of recovery. I said, What? He said, "None of us ever had wet dreams when we were out there. We were too busy masturbating. We didn't even know what a wet dream was." Roy rewrote the next um, edition, and he really softened it up. Really softened it up. Dave, you want to share a little about that topic this day? Really.
1: I'm I'm David, I'm a recovering sexaholic and, and uh um you know when I came in I was single and uh you know I had my, my very first wet dream a month in a month into what turned out to be over eleven years of celibacy. And uh I had my next one about a month after my first essay meeting and it scared the crap out of me. It scared me half to death. I knew about them. I'd had sex ed. I, I knew what they were and that they were natural and um, part of becoming, uh, going through adolescence and, uh, and I, but I didn't know what to do. Um, I'd never had those kind of dreams before. And uh, I, like Harvey, picked up the phone, called Simi Valley, California, and and what I heard was, yeah, you know, I can't make this decision for you, but to me, you know, it's it's a loss of sobriety. I I spent my first two years in this program sober. But resetting my clock every time I had a wet dream, until I heard somebody say, like just did, that. Uh, and when it was offered to me that perhaps this was a sign of my recovery, I broke down and I sobbed because I knew it was the truth. I hated those dreams. I did nothing to promote those dreams. I've heard people who have said and you know when when roy rewrote it for him he believed that he could act out in a dream and i i've heard other people say that um i i think that could be true for them for me they happened and they were always uncomfortable and uh um so it uh, i remember in chicago having a having a meeting on wet dreams and it was packed out <laughs> and uh it you know it, like everything else in my in my recovery you know it's 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 our shared experience um, you know we say in nashville you know we were afraid to see someone we knew i was never afraid of seeing somebody i knew at a sexaholics meeting i i didn't think there was anybody out there like me um and but what i learned from you people is that they happen and uh yeah i i think if you're looking at pornography, if you're touching yourself, and you're having erotic dreams, there might be a connection there. Uh, but if you're not, uh, perhaps it's, it's part of what's going on in your recovery. So that, that, that's my experience. Thanks.
2: Now, there's another, there's another problem that goes along with that. Now, mind you, that Dave said it right on, if you're purposely bringing them on, And you're going to bed 10, 20 minutes ahead of time and laying in bed aroused, having all kinds of fantasies. Don't be surprised. And I really question that. However, I get calls from all over the world about men who wake up in the middle of the night masturbating. Fast asleep, and they wake up and they're masturbating. Uh, And I should pre-record what I tell them as I tell everyone the same thing. Wear tight underwear. Wear Levi's with a big belt. Tight Levi's. Put sweatpants on top. (laughs) Tie them. And have a bowl of water with a washcloth next to your bed. By the time you unbuckle and get all this stuff going, you have a chance of waking up. Even then, wash your face with cold water. And wake up! Because a lot of times, you're in like a hypnagogic state. And it's almost like a different kind of wet dream, however, even there, you can't cookie cut this stuff. People could use that as an excuse. Man, have I heard them? Guys will call from around the world that they have testicular discomfort from all this abstinence. <laughs> And their doctor says they have to masturbate to relieve it. And every time I get that call, I say, watch what happens. You're going to need to start relieving it three times a day. (laughs) And I tell them all the same thing go get examined, your prostate is probably enlarged. There's an article somewhere about, and I don't agree with it, in our literature, that there's no problems that come from abstinence. I'm one of those guys who kept getting wet dreams in my absence. And my group got so sick and tired of hearing me, my worrying and my complaining, and someone said, have you thought about going to the doctor? Lee said to me, and I said no. I haven't." He said, go. My prostate was so swollen, and I learned that once a month, I needed to go and get my prostate pushed on by the doctor, and after a while, for me in my case, after months, it became apparent I knew when to go in, when I got an erotic dream. Within a few days, I'd get a wet dream. Okay? So I eventually, when I would get an erotic dream, I would take ibuprofen for a day or two, and it would take the swelling down, apparently, and I wouldn't end up with a wet dream. I hate wet dreams. Man, if I'm going to lose my sobriety, I'm going to really do it. I mean, what a waste to lose your sobriety with a wet drink. Man, I'm not a good example for people, let me tell you. You know, I laugh when you go to Europe and you do a lot of speaking in Europe and England and Australia with... Even more, they're very polite, and then I come up saying all this stuff explicitly, and people go into. But eventually, they get juiced. Okay. Now, why am I not embarrassed about talking explicitly, or afraid of it? For what this group has done, we played this game with such innocent people with these sensitive ears. If what I say makes you lose your sobriety, you are going to lose it anyway. And you were looking for an excuse. I don't have that power to make you lose your sobriety. And I also have to respect you enough to know you all do not have virgin ears. Nor any other part of you all. (laughs) Okay, so now, massages, that's an interesting one. I'm so glad you brought these up. I was continuing getting massages, uh, and then one day I shared it with Jess, my sponsor, he said, no, that's your old way. You can't do that. So I stopped having massages, and about 10 years later, my back went out, and I really, you know, need a massage, and I said, oh, Jess, you know, I wish I could get a massage, but I know, you know, that's my old ways. He said, who said that? I said, you did. He said, when did I say that? I said, oh, about 10 years ago. He said, Harvey, come on. If your back's hurting and your mose is right, go get a massage. I always wear underwear and trunks. Uh, uh bathing suit. Always. And it will annoy sometimes the therapist, but I don't care. But I have to check my motives for getting them, you know? Motive, motive, motive. Okay, who's holding on to some stuff?
5: Small sexaholic.
2: Shmuel. Uh,
5: speaking about um again the topic. I know for me lost today what's fooling me, what probably is a form of sex with self is wanting to go on Facebook, but I ha- use Facebook for work, seeing if a woman they friended me. And I get the lust hit from it. Um, I want that lust. The action is right, but deep inside, I want that hit. A woman sends me a friend request. Now, my mind tells me I need to make sure that it's safe, that it's, she's requesting me for work. So I have to look at a profile. But not a picture, obviously. And And I'll cover... Her And if I see something immediately, I look away. Um, so I'm doing the right actions, but I'm hoping that it will be something there. Um, you know, I never looked at the photos, but it's really stemming from me wanting to get lust, you know. So I say it's not looking at a woman at all, but that's the lust in it. Um, if I make sure regarding wet dreams for one moment, my experience. Um I came into this program single um at the age of twenty one. Um I first of all I found two types of wet dreams. I found sometimes every two weeks or once a month I would have a ejaculation with no loss discipline ejaculation, and that was probably just my age. Um, my body just needing to release myself. And then I had another wet dream It was a full erratic dream, um, sex, and that was something else. I, I didn't reset on it, but I normally was able to, um, you know, sense that something was off. Um, particularly when I had a lot of stress and nervousness, at times I would know before I went to sleep and I'm going to have a wet dream, because I knew my brain is just, I believe, damaged and automatically escapes to lust. And I wasn't able really to stop it, thank God it has gotten a lot better, but I believe my brain just escapes to lust automatically in my sleep. And that was a sign that those dreams were lust, but those were erratic, so I just saw a difference in that. Thanks.
2: Uh, I want to mention what I learned from wet dreams. after almost a two-year abstinence period, and then many, many years of us working through this, I was a sexually abusing in frequency my wife. At some point, I needed to tell myself my truth. What is my man need for sex versus my sexual addiction need? is sex. Okay? And I realized that I would get an erotic dream or a wet dream about once a month, once every three weeks. Or once every two weeks. I don't remember exactly how it is. I used that number to say you don't really need sex much more than that to keep me paced properly. Uh, My wife has a different, her needs aren't like mine, she's not a sex addict. And we came to uh, eventually a certain frequency, which we do consistently. And we do it the same day, (laughs) the same time, so that I know that if I'm thinking about it at any other time, that's lust. Because I know I'm not going to have it on that day. I need all kinds of ways to check, protect me from my addiction. No one could tell you this stuff. How do you protect yourself? Well, first, you've got to believe you're having a disease. You've got to believe you have an addiction. You can't protect yourself if you're just saying, oh, I'm morally bad, and that's why I need to stop. So these are still to thine own self be true. And Dave, can I share a bit about frequency? That was our big joke, Dave and me. He would have a wet dream on the same day of the same month at <laughs> o'clock clockwork. And we teased him that it was like his best profile. <laughs> <laughs> he was as regular as could be. And, um, do you see us laughing? These are just human things. The more shame, the less you're accepting step one. Shame is giving the middle finger to step one. Shame means I'm bad. And the minute you're into badness, you're out of powerlessness. And the disease model. The disease model says we, we admitted we were powerless and our lives become unmanageable.
3: Okay.
6: Who's next? Yes. Come on. Hi, my name is Yakov. I'm a sexaholic.
3: Uh,
6: so, um,. Um I'm quite confused a couple of uh, weeks ago uh now now I'm speaking as a as a male I don't know um it felt like some kind of muscle uh, in my genitals relaxed and um I kind of uh, picture myself when I was really little that I was so afraid of what was happening around me and I was so scared that I, I was like protecting myself and I was in a in a big tension and so was part of my genitals. It's kind of like when I'm finished uh, in the restrooms, I kind of close I don't know how to how to say it in a proper way. So what what happened a kind of a couple of weeks ago is that I felt like I'm, I'm just relaxing. I, I, I feel safe. I feel comfortable being with myself. I do not have to protect myself. I'm, I'm fine. And so when I went to bed, uh, I would have an erection and then during the night maybe there was, uh, w- would be an ejaculation. And I'm very confused and, um, sometimes again I picture myself maybe I missed Something as a child growing up, because I was masturbating since I was eight, eight and a half. And um, so, so I don't really know, and I kind of would like to have some kind of, you know, father telling me, Yaakov, you're fine.
3: <laughs>
6: Everything is fine. This is just a normal process that you missed twenty years ago or fifteen years ago and it will pass, and it, it's going to be fine. That's what I wanted to share. Thank you.
2: Exactly. I'll tell you a secret.
6: Even if we say
2: it's fine, the addict's not going to believe it. They wants to shame. He wants to shame us, so that we will do other things. Okay. Uh, we're pioneers. We're pioneers. We don't know this stuff. But we know one thing for sure. What is a loss of sobriety? What is a relapse? It always continues and gets worse. So, our wet dreams happened. But the next day, we were not doing anything different. It is progressive recovery, but so is relapse. So it comes out in the wash. If it's a natural physiological thing, and you go get checked. You must get checked from a physician. Whenever anything is not quite right that's a little different than your usual body habits, you go get checked. Can't ever hurt to get checked. This many of us do develop prostate issues, cannot hurt. Then if the doctor says everything's fine, then we see where we are with all this. But we take precautions. Also, it's so hard for us. There are certain groups of people in our fellowship who are not allowed to have sex with their wives a certain time of the month. So you can't tell them, well, don't have sex more than once a week. When they, two weeks out of the month, they're not having sex anyway. So their frequency is a little different. You gotta take all that in when you have a young person. You gotta take in what's happening when you're absent. We don't really know for sure. Time will tell. But the precautions are to protect yourself at night. You know, some guys still go to sleep naked. I wish you well. But I use underwear and pajamas, and even in the middle of the winter, I sleep with my hands above the covers. I mean, we've been doing this stuff for... (laughs) <laughs> For years and years, since we've been a kid, I want to do an experiment with y'all. A Got a few I want everyone to kind of fold their arms like but... they usually do. Okay,
3: can you clap? <laughs>